Welcome to New England Lacrosse Journal's Chasing the Gold podcast, your destination for all things lacrosse. I'm your host, Kyle Devitt. In the studio is Jack Piatelli. We're fired up, even though we're not together again. Sorry. Bit of a bummer, but uh, hoping you're going to be in the uh, studio sooner than later, correct? This is the last batch I will be zooming in for. Uh, you will have to deal with me in person very soon. So just get ready for that and just know that it's coming. I, I'll have to prepare for that because it's been very nice for Yaz, our producer, and I have, <laughs> not having you in studio. I'll tell you that. Uh, <laughs> Here you, yeah. you complain about the drive into the studio every week. Oh, that's I'm the only one that does that? Are you serious? Oh, man. Well, we might as well introduce our guest. It's uh, it's Grady Breen from several places. Why don't you, why don't you tell us? Because we thought you were just at one school. You're at two. Yeah, so I, I'm... I guess a man wearing many hats, but only one lacrosse sweatshirt, right? So originally from Burlington, Vermont, love any discussion of lacrosse in New England. It's definitely, I think, a subculture that the world kind of forgets about because there's a lot of different versions of it. And that's why I think what, what you guys do through the journal is so important. So originally from Burlington, Vermont, played at Burlington High School, definitely a hotbed area, and then made my way down to Messiah College from 11 to 15. Played there for four years. Met my now wife, Taylor, moved, well, I should say right after that, I coached college football for a year at Castleton University, now Vermont State Castleton, and then went to grad school at University of Vermont to get my master's in teaching, came down here to Maryland, where my wife's from, and I now teach and coach lacrosse at South Carroll High School, and then I coach football closer to the Towson area at Concordia Prep. A lot that's of different a, things. That's a lot. Yeah, That's a lot a of lot. different conversations. Kind of one of the only guys who's fully a football coach and fully a lacrosse coach. So happy to nerd out on anything, depending on really the day of the week or the season. Tell us a little bit about the school you're at and how you actually ended up there. So that something you wanted to do, teach at the high school level and coach? Yeah, so growing up in Burlington, I was really blessed to have a lot of great teachers and coaches throughout my time. I can't really nail down any specific teacher that like, that's the guy who made me want to teach or, or that's the woman who made me want to teach. It was just the collective. But through also getting coached in lacrosse and football by Brandon Carney and Mike Arkovich, I was like, this is, this is what I want to do. So I knew I was always going to teach eventually for a, a little while. I was entertaining. Hey, I'm, I'm going to do this thing called college athletics. I'm going to try to be the next D1 offensive coordinator. But then you realize kind of what, it, what it entails. What, yeah. What it entails, the toll on you socially, physically, financially, right? How, how much, yeah. How much it really takes to cut your teeth. So I said, it's, it's great, but teaching and coaching, it's going to be a lot more viable. So I went back to the one-year master's program at University of Vermont, which is a great program, got into high schools and just love it. It's really cool to be able to work through in a school throughout the day, have your students on the team, have your athletes in class, if you will, catch up with kids in the hallway and see how their, how their club showcases are going, all those little things, right? Like you can bond with it. There's so many great conversations you can have with a kid if you're seeing them really from seven until six o'clock with practice. You know, like you're really getting to know like the whole kid. So, yeah. How did you come to coach at two different places? Because I think that's the most interesting yeah, thing. Yeah, so it's not what I envisioned at first. I was coaching football for a little while at South Carroll. I was 
a varsity assistant and I was JV head coach. And then honestly, I just kind of started looking for greener pastures. I wanted a little bit different of a vibe. I took a year off. I even didn't know if I was going to coach this fall. And I've gotten to know a guy by the name of Joe Battaglia, who's the head coach at Concordia through a couple of different things. I had almost worked there a couple of years ago and he just seemed like a guy that I really wanted to uh, work for. He was a real leader of men, former Navy staffer, runs a really tight ship, no pun intended. But I felt like my value as a coach was going to increase over there. And honestly, it was it was fantastic. We won the MIAA B Conference title this year. Great staff. It, it was it was it felt like a dream. Really, is it different to not see your kids in class? For sure. Is it different to leave one school, go let the dog out, and then go to another school? For sure. But I couldn't be more happy over there, and it really kind of gave me a level of fulfillment around football that I that I hadn't felt in a little while. So you were a football lacrosse athlete in high school as well. Yeah. Yeah, so at Burlington, I was a, a three-year varsity starting quarterback, and that's not something to put on my LinkedIn resume because we were not very good. But it really gave me a good understanding of both sports to be kind of the guy who is who is most driven around those two sports. And it was kind of right down the middle, right? There was no winter sport. So as kind of football, football stopped, I would transition into playing indoor lacrosse at Shelburne Fieldhouse, as I mentioned earlier get into the spring. And of course, with New England starts, like you're going to start a little later than some other mid-Atlantic schools would. And then just kind of willed my way to, a, excuse me, a roster spot at, at Messiah and then transitioned fully into a lacrosse athlete in, in college because there was no football team there. But throughout college, I, I always knew I missed football. I, I missed the kind of intellectual aspect of it, the chess match of it. So it's kind of the balance of like the chess match all fall and then the, the free-flowing flow sport all spring. Talk a little bit about growing up in Burlington, Vermont, and what the lacrosse was like and where when it was offered to you, what grade and your experience you had growing up playing lacrosse and where is lacrosse now in terms of the youth level, high school level in, in Vermont? Yeah, so it's to look back on what it was and what it is now. It's two very different things, which I would say overall a good thing. But really when I was growing up, 06, 07, 08, kind of the middle school years, it was this thing that was on the other end of town, right? My middle school wasn't offering it, but the other middle school was. A friend that I had played youth football with was going to start playing. I had found it in a sports history book when I was really little. So I was always intrigued by it, but it just wasn't offered. So I was, so joined, it became this kind of co-op Burlington program, a real mix of backgrounds, a real mix of kids, which was fantastic. But it was, it was great. You're like, all of a sudden you just fall in love with the sport and became pretty quickly. It became the biggest thing that I wanted to be really good at. And, and a thing that I felt like I could be pretty talented at. So throughout my time in high school, it was still kind of developing in the state. There was not a whole lot of club programs. So really your off seasons were drastically different from what, what they are now. Now you have you, um, clubs like Catamount, I believe, and 802 Lacrosse and some other ones in, in the Southern half of the state. But at that point, it was just who was, who was having a strong youth program like Champlain Valley was still one of the, or even then was one of the dominant teams just because their youth programs were were so well-run and well-funded. So it really kind of revolved around that. But 
to see what it is now to see kids go to the D1 level, it's fantastic, right? To to see like a, a kid like Brendan Gleason go from a star at Essex High School to all of a sudden the absolute dude at Notre Dame that he was just a couple of years ago just kind of shows like what it looks like. And personally, like I want to shout out the the Vermont Summer League that happens all summer at a University of Vermont's Virtue Field. It's one of the most special kind of communities of lacrosse I've been around because you've got Mount Mansfield in the background. You've got usually the moon rising behind Mount Mansfield. It's a real mix of teams, right? You're and at the same time, guy teams usually need somebody to stay on for another game. So the rivalries die down and you end up getting to know basically everyone on every team. Guys are going to their from their they're coming from their nine to five and they're going uh to something very different. They're going back to their families, but you're getting to know everybody. Hey, will you stay? Hey, we need an attackman. Hey, we need another poll. So all of the potential tensions of team five versus team six die down because they're going to need somebody the next week, which I think is a, it's a real fun community of like, Hey, good to see you, man. And then you're running into somebody out and about and you're like, Oh, can you plan again this summer? So it's always fun to even just get in a week or two. If I'm back in my parents over the summer. I think one of the things that people ask me about when they ask me about Vermont is like, where is the lacrosse? And the answer is the North. Yeah. And then like Rutland area. And then yeah. there's a bunch of towns around there because the state is really disparately populated. Mm-hmm. And it's it's actually, ironically, and I hate doing New Hampshire to Vermont comparisons because they're very different, but everyone thinks they're the same. It's it's flipped, whereas everything in New Hampshire is in the south by the border for the most part, <laughs> a little bit in central New Hampshire, and then nothing going on up north in terms of at least sports. And Burlington is way up there in the northern part on Lake Champlain. It's very different because that's so far away for so many people, Mm -hmm. but the people that live there, that area is only expanding Mm -hmm. outward. And I think it's, it's always interesting to, to see how things like lacrosse develop Mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. I actually went to St. Michael's college for three semesters. Okay. I remember one, (laughs) (laughs) just one semester is the one I remember. (laughs) The one before I left is the one I remember. And it's, it's super fun. Mm-hmm. Town, super fun place to go when i go to placid jack i don't know if you ever try to do the stopover in burlington yes. it's kind of worth it it's wor- yeah. just for the food like it's, yeah. it's actually a very underrated city in in yep, new england in sure. my opinion so i always like talking to people that are from there because people are like oh you're from vermont and i'm like which part of vermont mm-hmm. is the key because mm-hmm. if you're from burlington you have a whole different experience than you do when you're from i don't know I said Rutland already, but that's it's not like that's the only other town I know. What's the town Norwich is in? I know that town. Northfield. Northfields. My, yeah. One of my best friends with Norwich. And yeah. that's a completely different place from, yes. from Burlington. So the the growth of it too, you, you mentioned CVLC. Uh, one of the places I, I, I cover them the most because they have the most success. Mm-hmm. Growing up there, did you find that this kind of really separate thing came together through lacrosse like all these different towns came together because i mean i coach in a small area in new hampshire and it's like that for me yeah i think looking back that is something at least the era of lacrosse that i played in in vermont or the era i'm most aware of vermont lacrosse i'm aware of i'm really appreciative of because 
it kind of boomed at one point, like 20, sorry, 2008 to like 2012. And you'd have these situations or even like to like 14, 15, you'd have these situations where you'd have some smaller school just become like a division two powerhouse in the state where you'd be like, oh yeah, they're, they won division three basket or division two, division three basketball. And they're, suddenly their extra man unit is just sick with kids who got their, got sticks in their hands in fourth or fifth grade through some rec program. And then all of a sudden you've got teams like Randolph or teams like Lamoille, like Lamoille Union High School, just outside of Stowe, which I'm, people will recognize probably more broadly, but sent a couple kids to Cortland or sorry, a set of brothers, the Warden brothers, one went to Cortland, one went to St. Lawrence. Like you, you're, you're not, you're not thinking of, Cortland or St. Lawrence products coming from like the small kind of semi-rural school, right? You're thinking Randolph had a really good stretch. I think they went undefeated at one point when I was there. Woodstock, of course, is it's easy to understand. So you've got these kind of random pockets at points that just kind of hooked on to like, okay, this is what our boys are going to be doing. And then before you know it, they kind of shoot off as like this kind of small town powerhouse, which I, which I really appreciate looking at kind of where sports can go sometimes in communities. I always have appreciated that about Vermont lacrosse. And of course now Champlain Valley's got this great track record at the Essex teams with Dean Corkum were, were always stacked. Burn Burton's really, really come a long way in the last couple of years, just with all that they do athletically. I remember a time when, University of Vermont, Norwich, and St. Michael's all had part-time coaches. They weren't they weren't fully funded, mm-hmm. and to see the turnaround in mm-hmm. the last twenty twenty five years. Obviously, they've all got full time coaches at St. Michael's, Norwich, Norwich, no, known for its fifty five sixty guys on a roster. A lot of interest to go to school there. Program has been very competitive. The last couple of years and look what UVM has done. Their facilities. Remember, yeah. they didn't have a turf field. There was no place to play in the wintertime because they, didn't they were playing field. so far away from the campus. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that? The, the old grass yeah. field? That was wild. So, yeah. I mean, but how do you get outside in Vermont in uh, February and March without any turf? So the commitment they've made to the sport at all three colleges tells you the not only the interest but the the growth at the youth and high school level which really forced those schools to make a commitment to to the sport yeah it's a it's a really interesting kind of subculture of the game right like just to think on Norwich, their staff usually was a regular at the UVM Summer League. So you're playing with Neil Anderson, still wearing some of his old Canon stuff or like some of his Norwich stuff. And he's just lighting up kids that are he's recruiting that year. Like it's just a kind of fun exchange of like, wow, everybody's here. Everyone just wants to keep playing this game we all love, which I, which I find really just awesome about kind of the dynamic of it all. What are some of the differences that you find coaching football versus lacrosse? What it, do you have to have a different, like, is your voice different? You know what I mean? Like, is your approach and your, your execution different when you're explaining something in different sports? Yeah. So football just becomes a lot more algorithmic because you're calling a play every time, right? Like it's, this happens and then this happens, this happens and this happens. Like, fr- frankly, lacrosse is a lot closer to a dog park, right? We, we tell the kid to go do something and then he's off leash. Right. And so, yeah, the, the, I'm usually a bit more hoarse during, during lacrosse season, just because I'm t- 
shouting something 55 yards across the field, right? But I do think it's a good balance to have just in terms of approach of like, okay, in football, I'm going to understand more about how this thing is going to kind of evolve and there's going to kind of be going to be a flow to it. I'm going to understand, okay, what am I, what's the comfort zone? What do my kids understand best? What are the, what do they feel most comfortable in? What's their skill set? Kind of how we do in lacrosse. But at the same time in lacrosse, I think teaching lacrosse is where I'm most influenced by football just because there's how many hours of football clinic tape on really any web server, any Google search, you can think about how to teach any particular skill in football a hundred different ways. And heck, there's not really anything out there in the same for any any other discipline, whether it be math, whether it be lacrosse, whether it be knitting. So I think that's the the clearest example. Like there's a lot of good examples of how to teach. Okay, that we're going to do this one thing in man coverage. We're going to do this one thing to throw the ball this way. While lacrosse, I think, doesn't always have that attention to detail in the teaching, like the in the preseason installs, right? So I think that's the the best meshing of how the two seasons work for me. The evolution of film has come a long way for the lacrosse community. Mm-hmm. Uh, football's been watching film from the get-go. I mean, it's just whether they shared uh, game film from coach to coach back in the day, you didn't see a lot of that in lacrosse because it wasn't available. Mm-hmm. But probably uh, lacrosse film probably didn't really get started in 15 years ago. Yeah. And now uh, at the high school level, you put, every high school coach watches film, players watch film. Do you watch film with players at the high school level? Yeah, we, we try to, the, the real challenge is just what our high school schedules look like here in Maryland, because we tend to, for busing purposes and for, for a couple of different factors, we tend to not play games on the weekends. So then you're compiling two to three games in a week in just weekdays. So then when your games Tuesday, Thursday, maybe also Friday, and then also at the same time, oh, well, you've got to be off the field at six and you've got to do this and kids got to get home and you can't have kids for a long time and kids get out. So just sometimes film does become the casualty of just, okay, we got to get X, Y, and Z or, hey, we're going to watch this thing that they do. Or frankly, like with the turnover time in football, you've got a week to exchange film and it's it's kind of culturally accepted. Okay, it's up on Saturday night. It's traded Sunday morning coaches are breaking it down, but there's no guarantee that that other lacrosse coach might even have the film up in terms to exchange. Maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. So yeah, I absolutely agree that there is a much better understanding of watching film and at the college level that of course they have the huddle or the score break pools where you just put it up and take it out at the public high school level, at least for some of us down here in Maryland, you're communicating with a team parent who runs the huddle account. So they might get back to you. They might not. And if they do, there's no guarantee you have time of it. So a lot of times when we're watching film, it's either early in the preseason or of practice. Like, Hey, we're going to, we're going to take this shot of six on six. We're going to take this shot of man up man down. We're going to take this shot of fast break and then we'll watch it tomorrow, but it's got to be efficient. Heck we similar again, similar to a football coach. We had a couple kids 
and a dad with a trailer move up a conductor stand from the football practice field up to our lacrosse practice field up at the upper end of the school. So then we had one of our managers basically in this tall, frankly, deer stand watching it filming with a camcorder from an elevated view just to get the, the best view. This year, we'll probably go to a drone shot. And again, that's something that you steal from a football coach being like, oh, that's a really good view. And of course, kids can learn a, uh, a lot more clearly like that. Talk about film and, and even at the college level today, colleges film their practices which a lot of parents and players probably don't know, but they actually will film the practice and then evaluate players based on what they see in the film, maybe try and catch something they didn't see uh, during practice, uh, being on the field. But like you say, you have a bird's view with the film. Now you can, if so- someone's not hustling or they're not really shooting well, whatever, might not see that on the field. But I, I found it very interesting that the film has become such a huge tool at the college level. Not only are they breaking down film for games, but they're breaking down film for practices. So if you're a player, you can't hide. You got to have a good practice every time and you got to perform obviously game time, but uh, it's just uh, very interesting how it's evolved and how the coaches utilize it. Oh, for sure. And it's, of course, film doesn't lie. Right. It's just making sure we have time for everything. Right. Yeah. I mean, it also creates practice heroes, but we don't have to to get into that. That's one of my, one of my biggest things with, with coaching is just like, don't be a practice hero. Like if you're going to do something here, you have Mm -hmm. to do it on the field. Otherwise it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. I I feel like that's probably not the greatest message to send out to a lot of, a lot of kids, but coaching the JV and then coaching the varsity, I always tell kids not to be scared of making mistakes, Mm -hmm. but if you're going to do something here, you have to be able to do it in the game. If you can't do it in the game, I can't play you. Like, it's great that you're scoring every time in the fast break and practice. No, uh, by the no, way, you should be. No stats in practice, right? No stats in practice. When I coached at Plymouth, the, the small, sorry, small tangent. I when love I, it. My, my first coaching job was at Plymouth State. Mm-hmm. And it was great. The great kids. I, I loved it. It was, one of my, it was the best first job I could ever ask for coming out of college. I found out like halfway, three quarters of the way through the season that they kept their stats from practice and they posted it on a website that they ran. This is 2004. And I found out about it and I told the coach and I was like, is this, I feel like this is bad. He's like, it's just them being competitive. It's fine. But they didn't know that we knew. So one practice, I was just like, oh, hey, put that on the practice stat. Did that that website become lax power? (laughs) <laughs> is that how lax power started? I am positive several of those kids went on to be lax power posters. I don't know if it became lax power itself, but the <laughs> the look on the kids' faces when I was like, "Ooh, put that on the practice stat, coach. Let's get that down." The look on their faces, like, how does he know? And, and it's it's just it's so that was so funny to me that that was a thing because I, I obviously filming practice is beneficial for a lot of reasons, but you know if you're if you're always trying to be a star in practice and not really getting in the games, it's, it's not that great. Yeah, I, I, I should amend my sta- statement to like, if you're bragging about how you're doing in practice, but then oh, you're dude. shut down in a game, like that's where we need to have a long conversation. That's not great. Probably, that's probably not very long, but it's going to be not so fun. Yeah, it's not going to be fun, but it's going to be short. Let's let's kind of transition into the other part of, of why you're here that yeah. actually has a lot to do with video and teaching the game 
why don't you tell us a little bit about your your coaching clinic series that you that you're running? Yes, I appreciate that, Kyle. So really kind of the long version of it is through a variety of experiences, right? I have just wanted more lacrosse clinics, seeing football coaches be frankly like a weekend away from changing everything that they do practically at every clinic and just obsess about whatever their favorite college team is doing gives there's kind of like an intellectual fervor about scheme and X's and O's and program organization that I've always loved. And I want to see more of that in lacrosse. Like I want to see just more discussion about how you do something, how I do something. Let's compare notes. Oh, I'm going to take that from you. You're going to take this from me. So I've kicked this idea around for a little while. And some of this idea definitely started from the 2019 MI. LCA convention when Kyle, our mutual good friend, Bo McDougall was speaking about defensive communication and I'm looking around, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go support Bo. It's not far from my house down here in Baltimore and guys are filing in. And after his talk, I'm going to say, Hey, congrats, man. And before you know it, UMBC and I believe like Maryland and a couple other schools are just kind of jumping in front and just say, Hey, we need your PowerPoint ASAP. And it kind of gave me this aha moment of like, oh my gosh, like there's a lot of things out there outside of the quote unquote blue bloods that maybe some other coaches have figured out that not everyone has figured out. And then at the same time, I think we've all sat in that talk from a guy at a huge school that we all love and we, we think is a really smart guy and we take notes and we're like, wow, that's awesome stuff. I just can't use any of it. So over the last couple months, I kind of started with the idea of like, hey, let's put a, why shouldn't I put a lacrosse clinic together? It was going to be entirely virtual. So I reached out to CoachTube, said, hey, could this be possible? And said, yep, this is, this is how it's set up, but it can't be in benefit of a high school boosters club. I said, that's totally fine. They said, it's got to be in benefit of a nonprofit because college coaches, of course, can't speak in benefit of a high school boosters club. So I said, that's even better. So the side story to that, and I shouldn't even really say side story, but the other in- information about that is on April 2nd, 2020, so early quarantine, one of my captains here at South Carroll, Noah Hamiuni, was practicing in his front yard, as he always was, just kind of obsessing about what his next move was, how to how, how to do a rocker to this, how to split roll, et cetera, and was unfortunately killed in an act act of gun violence by his neighbor's estranged husband. So his neighbor's estranged husband believed that there was something going on in the neighborhood, stalked the situation for, I believe, like 48 hours, and then knew when his estranged wife was going to be out and Noah was also going to be out. So April 2nd, our situation entirely changed, hearing the news that the, the ambulance going through Mount Airy, Maryland was for Noah, a kid that I was super tight with. And of course, sadly, in early quarantine, right, you're thinking of there's no guarantee of how we're understanding air ambulances, how we're understanding airlifts, just a really tragic situation. So in losing Noah, our kind of perspective shifted his parents in the process of grieving his, his mom, Melissa, was just kind of going through his things later that summer and found his list of goals for the future because this kid had 
wide number of just goal sheets. I'm going to need, I'm going to gain this much. I'm going to get this much on my bench. I'm going to do this much wall ball every day. Just an absolute coach's dream of a player. And some of his future goals were to give lacrosse to as many kids as he possibly could, who couldn't afford it, which is a really cool goal for like a 17 year old kid. So in August, 2020, she started Melissa Homayuni started the Noah Homayuni lacrosse foundation. And ever since the NHL, NHLF has given, I believe, at least over $40,000 in equipment and money and scholarships to programs in need. There's a character-based lacrosse scholarship here for graduating seniors from both our boys and girls teams, those, those of them who are committed to play at the next level. And then she, locally, she's given out sticks and balls and helmets and a new set of jerseys and gloves and basically you name it to a whole bunch of programs in and around Baltimore. A couple of years ago, there was a school that couldn't have a JV team uh, because they didn't have enough jerseys. And Melissa found out about it and was able to just write a check and show up with just boxes of jerseys for this team. Just recently, they just became a USA lacrosse equipment partner or sorry, a grant partner. So that way nationally their um, programs in need can then be funded by the benefit of the Noah Hummini lacrosse foundation, which is just an, it's really an incredible way to remember Noah. He was a fantastic kid. Every year we actually play a community game called the Noah Hummini medicine game, really to understand like how first nations peoples approach the game. We've had some really cool First Nations partnerships with that, with them helping us understand it best and and use Haudenosaunee terms for different parts of what we do that day. And it is awesome. You get a bunch of alumni, kids who who played with Noah on his club team out for a Saturday or a Sunday in August, and it's the best day of the year. So with all of that, with a want for a clinic, with a want for just more intellectual conversations about lacrosse, with a want to just hear more about how programs do stuff and how they solve problems. We put together the first ever No Home Uni Lacrosse Foundation Clinic. We've got over 50 speakers. A ticket started at just $39 for individual 30-day replays. Tickets can be bought at lacrosse.coachesclinic.com. And it benefits the foundation, which can be found at nh10.org. It's going to be awesome. We've got got coaches from every level. We've got New England well-represented. Bo is going to give a talk on defensive communication. Casey Dinolfo from Tufts is going to do a segment, I believe, on drills that Tufts uses. John O'Dornia from Syracuse is going to talk about drills he uses to install a defense. We've got Navy strength staff talking about programming at the high school level. We've got one of my good friends, Ethan Rowe, doing two segments on how to use social media well for high schools because Kyle, I'm sure like lacrosse staffs are small. <laughs> so yeah. to, to try to do a social social media post about the score with an edited graphic when you're also putting the film up and putting your kid to sleep and also grading your AP site quizzes, it's a lot. So yeah, we're going to have a whole number of talks. Jim Mitchell from Princeton's going to talk about things he's used as both the Princeton offense coordinator and also the Cannons offensive coordinator. It's going to be really cool. There's some guys have reached out some really cool topics. It's the, it's the biggest virtual clinic of the off season and hopefully we can do this year over year. So, yeah, so I encourage anyone listening to this to to look into it because it's going to be a fantastic event. 
Now you have 50 speakers, you said. Now, how does it actually work? You pay the $39 and what, you have access to all 50 uh, presentations? Is that it? And you can go in, you can go in anytime and take a look. It's sort of like a bank. Yeah. So I, I should have said earlier, it's from December 12th through the 15th. And those are both live streamed and live streamed and pre-recorded. Some will be pre-recorded, but most will be live streamed. And then for even just the individual $39 ticket level, you'll have at least 30 days of replays. So basically from, I believe, December 12th to January 12th, you'll be able to watch all of that. And the cool thing is then we've also got, you know, 12 month access for $89 and then a staff access for, I believe, six logins is $149. So it's going to be a real affordable option because we want to help every kind of program. We don't want, like, my fear was I don't, I don't want a guy to sit through a clinic and be like, love what he has to say. I can't, I can't do any of it because my kids aren't that talented. My, I don't, I don't see my kids enough and I don't have a fall ball because those kind of talks are great to have and those are still worthwhile, but I didn't want any program to walk away and be like, ah, I just, I didn't, you, I didn't get anything that I could I use for my kids or my team. Yeah. I mean, just looking at it right now, you could, I mean, we got friend of the podcast, Jeff O'Neill on here. Brody Merrill is on here. Dylan Sheridan from, from WRA. Like this is fully stacked. And I, I know that you and I talked when you were putting this together Yeah. and you asked me about like a trap ride that we ran. I was like, I'm not, it's not that good. I, I, don't, I don't want to do a presentation. It's not that great. But I was happy to to point you to a couple guys that mm-hmm. I think could really help. I, this is a great idea for one of the things that that stopped this year that's going to stop is is laxcon. Mm-hmm. I think that's where a lot of people went and got this sort of information yeah. as well as IMLCA. They do the Florida thing with just the college coaches. Yeah. But everyone went to laxcon, and we're talking coaches from like Wisconsin, yeah. California, Seattle. They just showed up. They flew all the way out and they, the levels that they're operating at are so different that they still got something out of it, but maybe it wasn't everything. And this, I mean, you can take your pick. I mean, this is a, I don't want to say murderer's row, but this is, this is a group of amazing lacrosse coaches. Yeah. And you got media guys in here too. I mean, Dan Kaplan, my guy. Yeah. Uh, Joe Keegan, my guy. The the fun, the fun part is too, Kyle is like, there are some guys that people aren't going to recognize on name immediately, mm-hmm. but I feel like they're just going to get blown away. Like Mark Wilson is the head coach for team Jamaica, and he's going to give a talk about how the Jamaican national team align their values and their identity and their mission. And I had a 40 minute phone call after hunting down his information off of LinkedIn and through another buddy. Like I, this has been extensive. It was practically a manhunt for a couple of weeks of how I was getting guys information, but it's awesome because my thought is too, like, we'd love to hear that from maybe one of the big name, like USA, Canada, but I bet a lot of small college and high school programs out there are going to understand how Jamaica did it a lot more than like, Hey, how do you make sure that Rob Pinnell and Tom Schreider are sharing the ball, right? Dylan Sheridan's going to give a talk about how to adjust practice drills to a small space. 
we all know as New England guys, like, okay, I had this great practice plan and then an ice storm hit. So what do I do now? I'm in a quarter of the field now. What do I do? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like uh, Dylan sent me his, his, uh, his cutups the other day and it's like stuff on a tennis court. And you're like, this is perfect. And it's really cool for guys to get me these, these great clinic talks. Like Tom Mariano at, at Pace University was talking about drills to increase mood at practice it's called it's okay to smile at practice like it's it's gonna be a really cool event for a really cool foundation we've got some really cool sponsors it's it's just an awesome group of people that i think people are really going to enjoy got lars keelan here where did he go to school jack springfield college yeah he did it's a mecca there's a lot of springfield guys in here i i gotta shout out two guys that i think maybe people should watch that I know personally are awesome and maybe they've never heard of them, but Jason lamb mm-hmm. is one of the best people in lacrosse. Exactly. Uh, like long time BYU coach. He did a lot of stuff. Uh, I, I met him when I was very young and yep. he was instrumental in me loving lacrosse, which sounds weird. Cause I met him at a camp in Arizona. Wasn't he uh, like, didn't he became director of lacrosse operations at Notre Dame too? He was there as well. Yeah. yeah. He's just a phenomenal human being. He's, he's the coach of Southern Virginia. Yep. And then the second guy I want to shout out is Alec Jernstedt at Grove yes. city, Grove city, one of the most underrated programs in division three. I'm putting together all Americans right now. And yeah. it's, it's wild. Like to yeah. how many D three coaches there are out there and how many good D three coaches there are now, as opposed to 20 years ago when there weren't not every, like Jack said, not everyone's, full-time man and now if you don't have a full-time coach and you're you're a college you are losing Mm -hmm. you cannot win it's not possible and everyone in lacrosse knows that so i i think this is an amazing resource it's going to be an amazing resource for years to come i think Uh, again it's just such a cool idea such a such a great cause attached Mm -hmm. to it and i was like Super happy to have you on. I know like we talked a little bit and there's a little, a little, little exchange of energy. Like, I don't know if this is going to work, I don't, but like, listen, I, I think it's, it's an incredible thing to promote. And you have a very interesting coaching background that I wanted to kind of delve into. And it's been, and you're a New Englander at yeah. heart, even if you're not live here, if you, if you were always, if you grew up here, you're always here. So it was, it was great to talk to you and great to promote this. Yeah. Thanks, Kyle. I just, for anyone listening to this, I think this clinic is really aimed at you guys and then some, right? We've got John U. Bacon, the author of Let Them Lead about leadership training in in a small time hockey program in Michigan. We've got Jeff O'Neill. We've got guys like Jason Lamb. It was cold calling Jason Lamb to be like, Hey, I saw your BYU clinic on clearing and riding in 2010 and I want you to speak. It's going it, to, because I want everyone to learn. I want, I just want more discussions and it's going to be fantastic. So I appreciate so much of what you guys do. Well, it's going to be great for anyone that wants to learn more about the game and how to approach the game as a, as a coach, whether in a lot of assistant coaches out there at the college level, high school level, youth level mm-hmm. for, for anyone, moms, dads, players. I mean, uh, you're making it available everyone should take advantage of it. Yeah. I I just want to say when you, if you're reporting this from the outside and you're like, I don't know if I want to do this. I I want to tell you that one drill, one really good drill can change your whole team. And uh, I wrote this guy an email uh, when my season ended last year uh, with Hopkinson, but Mm -hmm. uh, Matt Brown, who's now the head coach at Denver Mm -hmm. had a drill that I saw on on the IMLCA kind of newsletter blast. 
that was just holding the stick to the shoulder, pointing the butt end and shuffling and making sure like the ball goes in without touching any plastic, no snapping. And I got to tell you that drill transformed my entire team. And I wrote him this like really long email and I was like, dude, you are awesome. Thank you. It's just one drill. It's just one thing just changed everything for, for me and my boys. And I'm so thankful. Haven't heard back. I'll talk to him soon, but I, <laughs> I, I think it's like a great it, 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 places like this where you can get the information mm-hmm. because I don't think particularly lacrosse is gate kept, but it's also not readily available. Like it is for other sports, like you were saying. So having a resource like this is incredible for, New coaches, old coaches, players even. I mean, you can learn a lot as a player watching film on something that you're not really fully 100% on, but this kind of thing can help you. So I think it's it's great. And one, tell us one more time where you can sign up and cost and things like that. Yeah, so thanks, Kyle. It's uh, lacrosse.coachesclinic.com. And the foundation is nh10.org. So December 12th through the 15th, it's going to be live streams and pre-recorded from roughly 3 to 10 p.m. each night. But as soon as the talk happens, you can watch the replay. So $39 for individual 30-day access, $89 for individual 12-month access, which is an absolute steal compared to some other offers right now. $149 for staff, 30-day access, and then $249 at for staff 12-month 12 month access. So get on it. It's going to be fantastic. There's been a lot of loose ends. There's been a lot of just calling, double texting. I, I'm so thankful for so many coaches out there who've been so receptive. And you, you guys know how busy college coaches are. Guys calling me back from the sideline of NHSLS or shooting me an email or getting back to me four or five weeks like, Oh, I'm, I'm so in. I'm so excited for this. That just shows how special lacrosse guys are. Kyle, you brought up a good point. In terms of availability, the information has always been available. The coaches are always willing to work with programs, coaches to make the game better. Mm-hmm. But what you've done is you've asked all these coaches become available for all these people. And, and the, the coaching community in lacrosse, that's the great thing about it is they're willing to help the community. Right. And just a matter of asking, you've done a great job. Um, what an undertaking. You should be commended for your efforts. Uh, it's not an easy task to coordinate all these coaches and get them to commit to it and put it all together. So just wanted to congratulate you and wish you the best of luck. Thank you. Thank you. And it's honestly what, what really fulfills me is how many guys are like, Hey, I'm really busy this December, but call me next year. Like that was a really cool conversation to have like, Hey, I see what you're doing. Just call me next year, which is, which is awesome. Awesome. Well, that's going to do it for us here on New England Cross Journal. Grady, thanks again for coming in, man. Thank you. Thank you. I, I hope to be not the best coach, but hopefully a good interview. Pleasure (laughs) meeting you and uh, best of luck. Hey, I I appreciate it, Jack. I've watched many a Piatelli shooting highlight of both your boys. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Appreciate that. They still can't shoot as well as I did. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Thanks again for listening to In the Cross Journal's Chasing the Gold podcast. I'm Jack Piatelli. I'm Kyle Devitt. See you next time.